Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Chris McDaniel, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio is... Jason Rosenbaum. And... Joe Manis. And our special guest this week... Missouri State Treasurer Clint Swifel. Well, thank you very much for joining us. He's the fourth it statewide is. official on our show. We are... I caught fourth. We had Kander. We've had Kinder. We've had Schweik. We've had Schweik. And Nixon and Coster, you're both on notice. They're on notice. <laughs> Four statewide in the second St. Louis to have here. Yes. That's true. You, you do have ties to St. Louis. We were chatting about that before we started. Well, I grew up in the uh, northern part of St. Louis County in Florissant uh, and grew up uh, you know, in a community where my parents weren't particularly politically involved, but they were involved in the community in many ways, uh, both in our school system and uh, in, in the larger sense, the community at large. Uh, I what, was the, what school system was it? Uh, well, when, as, in, as a grade school, I went to St. Ferdinand's. So I went to Catholic grade schools and then went to uh, Hazelwood High Schools. I'm, I'm not from St. Louis originally, but I'm told that that's a question that I'm required to ask well, now that I live here. Thanks for fulfilling the responsibility. <laughs> exactly. The high school issue is huge. It's huge. It allows you to sort of figure out somebody a little, little quicker. I don't uh, you, you know, so I think... You know, for me, I was the first person in my family to walk onto a college campus uh, to graduate from college. UMSL, I uh, believe. You um, are an UMSL graduate. I am UMSL graduate twice over uh, and met my wife on campus when I was campaigning for student government vice president. Uh, we got married. Uh, we became uh, parents to uh, two wonderful girls uh, who are now 16 and 14. Uh, and uh, we bought our first home in Florissant, or in Hazelwood, actually. Uh, lived there, uh, ran in 2002 for the first time uh, for public office, won by the strikingly large margin of 67 votes for state representative. Correct. He ran, yeah, I believe he ran against uh, now former representative and former state senator Mike Reed, if I'm not mistaken, and in in 2002. In 2002. So that was not a great year for Democrats, if if I don't recall. Yeah, Democrats lost the House for the first time in 48 years that year. (laughs) I was happy to have any space at all at the Capitol. And uh, served three terms in the Missouri House, uh, ran for state treasurer for the first time in 2008, uh, was elected and then reelected, obviously, in 2012. That was kind of going to be my my next question, because I have warm, fuzzy, nostalgic memories of the time, or at least half of the time you were in the House, because you were, I started reporting in 2006, 2007, 2008, when, you know, it was very much kind of like a red team, blue team atmosphere in the Missouri House. And you were kind of one of the field generals of the House Democrats. You came up with a lot of ideas. I believe you were involved in the 2006 House campaigns, which was actually one of the more successful campaigns for Democrats. And then um, in 2008, you decided to run for treasurer after Sarah Steelman ran for governor. What kind of made you want to run for statewide office in the first place? You know, I think that, first of all, my time in the House was really rewarding. I, I loved it, uh, and, and I enjoyed uh, the give and take of the legislature. I enjoy ideas and policy, policy discussions at, at their core, so the chance to be able to exchange those in the House is an exciting thing. Uh, but the, the real excitement for me about running for statewide office was the chance to really guide a larger discussion. I think that's something that in the House specifically is hard to accomplish. Uh, it's hard to really uh, transform a larger discussion and make it, make it something that you think is productive. Uh, you have to sort of figure out ways to plug in and join in. Uh, so the treasurer really gave me a chance, I feel like, and it's still giving me a chance in my second term to really shape a larger policy discussion on how you move a state forward. So, so tell us, what, what does the state treasurer do in a nutshell? So my first responsibility, my first and foremost responsibility is managing 
taxpayer dollars and keeping them safe. So I invest uh, $3.6 billion on a day-to-day basis. Uh, my job is to keep that money safe in terms of liquidity, uh, in terms of security first and foremost before rate of return. So that's the priority there. Uh, and obviously during the financial crisis, we worked hard to ensure that Missouri never lost a penny uh, during a pretty challenging environment. My, I also manage the state's banking services. Now, that's not managing our banking services as a regulator, but that's managing the flow of money to make sure that we're paying our bills on time, uh, to make sure that the flow of money is happening throughout the system. Uh, but I also manage our unclaimed property system, uh, which has $230 million here in St. Louis uh, alone uh, that we are working hard to return. We've heard, hit records in that uh, every year that we've been in office. Uh, I've also managed and sit on the boards of the Board of Fund Commissioners, which is responsible for issuing general obligation debt, uh, the State Pension Fund, Mosers, and the Missouri Housing Development Commission. Which we'll get into a little bit later. Now, um, as State Treasurer, and you're dealing with a lot of this stuff, you also sit on several key boards uh, that deal with some state policy issues, most notably... um, the Missouri Housing the, Development yeah, the, Commission. Yeah, the Missouri Housing Development Commission. You want to talk a little bit about that? That's been under a lot of controversy lately over the low-income housing tax credits that it oversees. Sure. I actually chaired, Joe, the Housing Commission when I came into office, too, also in 2009 and, and a good part of 2010. So I have a lot of experience firsthand with how that agency works and, and, the, and the work that it does. Uh, first and foremost, their responsibility is to provide uh, workforce housing across our state. Uh, but also for seniors, uh, also for the disabled. Uh, During my time as chair and toward the end of it, uh, we began meeting with uh, advocacy groups for veterans, uh, mental health, uh, for kids who were aging out of foster care, and they were expressing the desire to push for specific projects that they were advocating for. And at the time, I said, you know, I don't advocate for a specific project, but, but tell me where the gaps are and let's have a conversation. Uh, we sat down and developed a plan to, in essence, dedicate about a third of all state tax credit resources in low-income housing to projects that would serve those who have a high risk of being homeless, specifically veterans, kids who are aging out of foster care, and those who are suffering from mental illness of some sort. Uh, that was voted down by the commission uh, in its first vote, uh, but within a year later, we got it to pass unanimously. And one of my proudest moments has been really been able to transform how we allocate those credits now. So one out of every $3 in credits that's allocated is now going to uh, work that we can see firsthand as making a difference. Uh, I've met with some of the veterans that have been served by uh, these projects, seen firsthand the, the opportunity that we have to help build independence for these veterans, recovery, and hopefully in uh, long-term growth for their lives. But also as treasurer, Joe, I get a chance to step back and see the the difference that this makes in terms of our economy, that we're literally uh, saving dollars because we're we're making sure that we're not spending dollars on things like hospitalizations, incarceration, et cetera. Now, in December, though, the governor's representative asked for the commission to delay action on several projects for several months because of a unrelated deal that he was trying to um, – forge in the legislature at the time during the special session as far as um, tax tax breaks for, for Boeing. Uh, that has come under a lot of controversy, a lot of fire. There's members of the Black Caucus who've been upset over that. And since then, that sort of fed into the de- current debate in the legislature about what to do with the tax credits. Um, can you talk a little bit about that from your perspective, what you think is happening or not happening? Sure. With the low-income tax credit program? Well, I think one of the 
best things that we can really work for as a state is, you know, Joe, we've had the same conversation now every year that I've been in office and, and really before that in terms of, quote, reforming our tax credit system. Uh, but essentially, the conversations have kept us on a treadmill uh, that we really haven't gotten off. In other words, we haven't made any real tangible progress and changes in those areas. Uh, as I said, I've been a supporter of those tax credits and other tax credits that have helped build communities around the state. Uh, but ultimately, uh, if we could end up really making sure that we're in a position of strength where we can move to issues that I think are critical for the future of the state uh, and, and really end that discussion. So if we have a smaller program that's more efficient, that's still producing quality housing uh, for seniors and for veterans across the state, then I think that's a good thing. And then we can ultimately move on to a larger discussion of things like education and infrastructure, uh, entrepreneurialism, issues that I think really are going to be the growth drivers. Uh, you know, ultimately, that decision to delay credits now, which in essence we'll be voting next week, by the way, on those right. projects. Right, that's why I brought it up. Uh, you know, it's not a perfect decision, uh, but remember, this is a product of give and take in a bipartisan environment, right? And that's that's the reality uh, of the world that we live in: is that we have senators, House members that have certain feelings about things. In order to get things done in the legislature, it requires compromise. And, and I think that's a reasonable, uh, a reasonable thing to do in an environment where you're trying to accomplish something. Well, speaking of 2006 through 2008, I, I remember sitting through many House sessions and many Senate sessions, and there wasn't nearly the fervor and controversy over this and the historic tax credit program as it been, has there been since 2009 from here. Why do you think that these programs have come under so much fire in the last four or five years? Is it the economy? Is it, you know, questions of influence of developers or, or, or whether or not these projects are good allocations of money? Like, why do you think this has become so controversial in many respects? Well, I mean, to be fair, Jason, I think that, and, and I'm a supporter of these credits, but to be fair, I think that ultimately it makes sense for the legislature to have a discussion about whether credits are, are, in other words, paying off for the economy and, and really adding value for Missourians. We're spending about $750 million on tax credits in the state of Missouri annually. So I think it is a fair and reasonable discussion for us to have. Uh, what I hope, though, going forward ultimately is that we find a place where, yes, even if it's a smaller program that's more efficient, um, that still is functioning well and is predictable and dependable so that you actually are running a, a top-quality program that's not going to change by the whims of the legislature from year to year. Uh, that allows us to move off of that discussion and back into things that I think ultimately are our growth drivers in the state, and, you know, that's education and infrastructure. You know, how do we create a climate that encourages entrepreneurialism? I know, obviously, you're not in the legislature anymore. You have bigger things to do than you know, predicting what the legislature is going to do. But it seems like the House and the Senate have been, as you as you mentioned, on a treadmill for, for a few years since 2009. Is there Do you have any optimism that anything is going to change? And if so, what do you think would change about this program? Or what would you want to see changed? Well, what I would want to see is, is a way to ensure that going forward, we have a viable uh, housing investment that we make in this state. I mean, the reality is we're trying to provide housing for veterans, for seniors, uh, for the working poor, uh, for those who are suffering from mental illness. If we have a viable housing, housing program that makes, ensures that we're making those investments, then, then that's what I as a public policymaker and as official sort of look for. Uh, now, how we get there, whether we get there through a tax credit or through other means, frankly, I'm open to the discussion. I don't think the goal should be to, to exist, protect existing programs, but to really ensure that we're accomplishing goals that, that we've really uh, laid out for 
So what are the other means, then, if, if it's not tax credits? Well, to, for housing, the federal government's really established the, the basis of how we do housing, which is through tax credits. So right. in, in this case, tax credits make a lot of sense, right? There might be other credits, though, where maybe it would be better to replace those credits with another means of, of providing that service. Are you involved at all in talking to legislators as they decide what to do with this? Are you talking behind the scenes with any people? You know, we're available as a resource. I mean, I sit on the commission, so, you know, we talk to legislators, I'd say, relatively regularly about my thoughts on it. Uh, ultimately, though, it's a legislative prerogative. I mean, they have to have the, the wherewithal, not only policy-wise, to get this done, because it's a complicated issue, uh, but also to be willing to put the political capital into it to actually get something done and, and move that again. I mean, I said this before, but I think it's important that we move this issue down the line so we begin working on what I think are the critical core issues for our state. So um, another another thing that, as you mentioned in the outset that you're involved in is unclaimed property. Can you kind of explain, you know, what your role is in unclaimed property and, you know, how St. Louisans could potentially take advantage of the treasure that they've lost over the past few years. <laughs> so our unclaimed property is property that has been dormant for five years or more uh, in an account. So this could be an old bank account, an old savings account, uh, checking account. It could be an escrow account from a house sale that was, for some reason, not cleaned out during that transaction. Eventually, that money comes to me after five years and it becomes my responsibility to return that back to Missourians. When I found, when I took office, we found we had 300,000 Missourians that interacted with my office annually asking about unclaimed property, either through email or phone calls or in person. Uh, and it took them almost 50 days to get that property after requesting it. So we really wanted to really retool how we interact with those Missourians on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, now it only takes 18 days to get your property back as an average. Uh, you can actually do 50% of the claims are done online without any paperwork or bureaucracy now. Uh, we actually have a system that allows you to, in essence, it works as a Google alert that allows uh, you to put your name in and we'll let you know when you have unclaimed property. So we've used technology. We've done more with less and have returned about $187 million now back to Missourians uh, during that time period and hopefully gave also those Missourians some trust and basic understanding that we can follow through and get things done. I know my husband's had some unclaimed property sitting <laughs> we'll there for years and he can't seem to get it. What's the, so, so how long does the state hold on to it? In perpetuity. So it's a it's a promise to hold on to that money as long as it takes to return it. Now, obviously, these accounts are five years old when we get them. Mm -hmm. So our team has to work, in essence, like a group of detectives in trying to find those individuals and, and locate them and get that back. How big of a team do you have involved in this program? And then broader, how many people do you have in your office? So 14 are involved in, in specifically in unclaimed property, uh, managing unclaimed property. Uh, and then we have a total of 44 folks uh, that I work for on a day to day, work with on a day to day now, basis. Now, do, do the 14 do other stuff besides unclaimed property, or is no? It... Those are they're just dedicated to wow. unclaimed property. Wow, what's this... probably the one time that Missourians want to be tracked down by the state government? It is. <laughs> they have it some is. money being owed. It is, to. and you know, I will say that we send out notices that are required by law to do so, and advertise in newspapers is required by law. And sometimes they'll call us and they'll think that we're. Uh, uh, not the state, and that we're there were somebody else the trying IRS to get, or yes, something. exactly. Well, what's now, the weirdest thing you've ever found yeah. in your tenure? Have you found like a crown? Have you found like an exotic tiger that was missing? Like, what has been kind of the the weirdest? What 
property. What Jason is getting found. at is I've misplaced my exotic tiger. Where is my exotic tiger, <laughs> Mr. Treasurer? Yeah. So, so uh, you know, actually, I think my staff hasn't told me some of the craziest things. But, uh, you know, one thing that's common, of course, is we see baseball cards and things like that on a regular basis and coins. Uh, the reality is some of these things uh, are things you would have never expected, like we didn't understand when I came into office how many veterans' medals are yeah, that's actually what I was ask. placed in unclaimed property. Uh, and there are many that are people put in unclaimed property, and then we've actually worked hard with the legislature to begin returning those medals. How do they end up in there? Are they in a safe deposit exactly. box that then goes dormant? And that's then right, ends Joe. Up? Okay. So they're in a safe deposit box. They come to us. Uh, but often, you know, one, one interesting thing about these veterans is they often haven't told their family many of the stories uh, behind those medals, or their families often didn't even know that those medals existed. So it becomes uh, a quite a detective job for our team to, to track those. Well, speaking of veterans and, and the military, that transitions into our next subject very well. Um, and, and Chris wrote down the official title. It's about to call it the military thing that you, you're involved in. but The Missouri Military Partnership is what I wrote down. That, I don't know. That is yeah, correct. Yeah, how did right. you get involved in that? Generally, state treasurers have not been so involved in military issues as you have been in recent months. So the governor and I were visiting about uh, what is a changing environment in Washington, D.C., which is uh, a budgetary climate that's going to be obviously much different than what it has been in the past uh, in terms of military investment. And in that environment, we were talking about what can the state do to ensure that we're doing everything to leverage our resources to enhance and, and retain those facilities that we have. And by the way, when we talk about our installations, we're talking about Fort Leonard Wood. We're talking about St. Joseph, Missouri, that has Rosecrans. Uh, we're talking about uh, Whiteman Air Force Base in Knob Noster, Missouri, along with our National Guard presence across the state and along with Department of Defense investments that are, that are made in contractors throughout our state. When you look at the sum total of those investments, uh, we're looking at about $40 billion of gross product in our state. Uh, that's about 14 to 15 percent of our state's economy. That's 265,000 jobs. So part one of this is the economic lens of this. But the other piece, too, is from a national security perspective, I can tell you that we're doing the right thing by supporting our bases here in Missouri. The only B-2 bomber anywhere in the world is, is based in Missouri. Uh, in St. Joseph, they're, tr they're training 18 allied nations on the C-130 cargo plane. Uh, Fort Leonard Wood now has one in five of all Army members are going through basic training uh, right here in Missouri. So uh, there's both a national security view of this, but also the, the economic view as treasurer that I see, which, which I think is important, is that you can see the economic impact of these investments that the Department of Defense makes. So then we began taking the next step, which is looking at what can we do as a state to make these bases more cost efficient, mm -hmm. uh, make them more effective in terms of doing their uh, basic responsibilities. Uh, but also improve the quality of life for servicemen and women. So we're really looking at all three areas to see tangibly what can we do as a state to help support that. And now, now, as treasurer, has this, how does this fit in with your role, or do you see this as something that your predecessor should have been involved in before? I, I don't think so. I mean, the governor chose to issue an executive order that, that really provided me this responsibility to mm -hmm. do this. Uh, I think it's exactly what a statewide official should be doing, which is, stepping up and taking additional responsibility where you can. Uh, you know, I think a lot of us in leadership, we think, oh, well, you can plan out your career right. and plan out every move you make. And the truth is, is you have to be willing to step up and take additional responsibility when it's needed. Uh, and this is a case where, you know, we have a responsibility to help support our congressional delegation, our senators, uh, who are very, by the way, very strong supporters of, of this effort. 
uh, and ensure that we're doing everything we can to support them in D.C. as, as we're working hard at the state level. Now, what I was going to ask is I think there was rumblings within Washington that there are going to be some pretty substantial cuts to the military, and that obviously will have an impact on Whiteman Air Force Base and 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 other military installations. Fort Leonard Wood. Fort sure. Leonard Wood. I was blanking on the specific names for a second. But what's kind of what you've heard about that, and what impact do you think it will have on Missouri military installations? Sure. And I'm still we're still reviewing the president's budget that he's released. But, I mean, clearly, listen, we are in a changing environment in terms of military investment in the United States compared to where we were in 2005. Uh, but I think it's important to remember a couple things. First of all, the situation is still dynamic. It's still early on in the budget process. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, uh, our National Guard, specifically here in Missouri, has a very strong presence. I think it's important that we advocate and continue to advocate for their role because they're doing a couple important things. Not only are they protecting us overseas, but they're responding to emergencies here at home and keeping us safe here at home. Uh, but the other piece is to make sure that we don't get caught up with worrying about exactly what Congress is going to do on a day-to-day basis, but ensure that we're doing everything that we can control, uh, which I think is important when you look at energy, infrastructure, education. Uh, those are the things that drive the Department of Defense's decision, the Pentagon's decisions to invest and reinvest in our facilities. So my goal is to make sure that we're doing everything we can at the state level to leverage those resources. Now, Missouri's congressional delegation has, I think, gotten less senior in recent years. Obviously, someone like Ike Skelton was crucial towards getting Fort Leonard Wood developed and, you know, the B-2 bomber in Missouri. And, uh, you know, former Representative Blunt, who had a lot of seniority in the House, is now in the Senate. And then there are a lot of new people in there. Do you think that is going to have a long-term impact on not only building what Missouri has, but also just making sure it's even there, especially when competition for these resources are going to be, you know, pretty scarce in, in the next few years? Well, I think it does change the environment. But I also think, Jason, it's important to step back and remember that while things have changed here in Missouri in terms of our congressional leadership, things have also changed across the nation yeah. during that time. So, you know, we're, we're not in a vacuum here. We're part of that overall change that's happened. I still think we have strong, able representatives that understand firsthand the importance of these installations, what it means to Missouri's economy. And also they understand the role that we play in national security. And I think that's a real point for us to understand. We're not just advocating to bring more pork back home. But we're actually talking about, and as I've toured all of our facilities, there's a clear strategic impact that these facilities are making, these installations are making, uh, and how do we ensure that we retain that sort of excellence to provide value so that the Pentagon sees us as someone that can save them money and get the job done with excellence? So I guess we will transition into the politically part of politically speaking. Oh, we're just going to talk the politics. Well, because well, actually some see a little bit of a tie. Granted, there's always an official, I mean, there's a policy reason for much of your involvement in several military issues. But there's also some see a political, at least a help, because uh, there's been lots of speculation on whether or not, you know, what you might be running for in 2016. For our listeners to know, the state treasurer is term limited out, so you can't run for a third term. Which means, you know, speculation has Is that right, Joe? Shoot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think that was like the the, the second to last question when I interviewed you in 2012 for your re-election. But I mean, speculation has kind of run wild on what you're going to run for next. I mean, Dave Drebus has talked to you about, talked as you talked you up as a county executive candidate. I've talked you up as an auditor candidate. You've been linked to lieutenant governor, U.S. senator. You know, I'm sure you've heard all this whisperings and rumblings, especially since you decided not 
to enter the gubernatorial race pretty early on. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any special announcements that you want to make on this show? I don't. Oh. <laughs> but is there, can you say at all what you're looking at or what you're not looking at? Well, I really – I don't think I can even say that at this point. I mean, first of all, I can tell you that um, the job that I'm doing now is one that I'm still excited about and, and feel passionate about. So I feel passionate about public service in general. Uh, you know, we're, we're actually working on, as an aside, I know this isn't politics and we'll get back to that, but we're working as an aside on some larger higher education issues right now. I mean, I'm, I'm meeting with university presidents around the state to find ways that we can really retool our scholarship program in the state okay. of Missouri so we can become a national leader. And we think there's a way that a treasurer can step up to the plate and get engaged in that discussion in a productive way and actually help transform it so that we're uh, doing something that is really a, as a leader in the United States. And so, the first, frankly, we're providing access for first-generation college students who are getting good grades and working hard, which is something that's critical that we do in the state if we're going to continue to grow it. So, you know, those things excite me on a day-to-day -day basis. Ideas excite me. Uh, the idea of being able to make an impact, um, and and that's sort of. I think for me is the guiding light in terms of decision making going forward. How does Missouri's college, pro, uh, I mean, the savings programs? At one point, we were considered to be in the forefront several years ago. Now, I'm hearing less so. How does Missouri's uh, college savings programs stack up? And for our listeners, the state treasurer traditionally has been um, active. I mean, your predecessors as well, active in that going back 20 years. So I manage our, our, our state's 529 program, which is MOST, which I failed to mention earlier. And MOST is now one of the leading model plans in the United States. So it's one of the least expensive plans uh, and cheapest plans for Missourians to participate in. Uh, we have about $2.2 billion in assets total. Most of those assets are coming from individuals like us that are going online for the first time. Jason, get to it. Get on it. And, and beginning to contribute small amounts. Yeah, Jason has that little baby. Toward higher yeah. education. So that's an important piece is making sure that we provide tools for families to save. But the other piece here is this, folks, is that we have to have um, accessibility overall in higher education, knowing that not every family has a tremendous amount of resources to set aside uh, and ensuring that we're finding ways to push up our best and brightest and help them achieve higher dreams, but also keep keep some of those uh, best and brightest here in the state of Missouri. Uh, and that's going to take a really concentrated effort to retool our scholarships, to be thinking about uh, strategically a strong statement to Missouri families that we're going to pay for your college if you're willing to do what we're asking, which is good, good grades and give back to the community. Now, before I transition to my next question, there is a point. Can we, it would be safe to assume you're, we're not going to see you on the ballot this year. Is that fair to say? That'd be correct. Okay. So breaking news, you're not running for auditor or county executive or Florissant mayor or whatever. Well, he, he lives in Columbia. Or Columbia so really can't, yeah. yeah. But, now, but, but I did want to yeah. ask you more about, you know, 2014. Right. Because sure. as a Democratic statewide office holder, and as I mentioned, a veteran in kind of you know, the, the, the machinations of legislative campaigns. I mean, they had uh, Representative Hummel on, and he was talking about how the Democrats are at the lowest level they've been in years in the House. And back when you were in the House, you had many more members. And I think you kind of know whether this question is going, like, how did the Democrats get out of the, the, this legislative hole? I know that, you know, Attorney General Coster is promising a lot of money and help, and I'm, I'm sure you're going to be part of that as well. Do you see a light at the end of the tunnel, or is it going to be pretty grim for your Democratic colleagues there? Well, I, first of all, I'm optimistic, or I wouldn't be in this business, and nor should I be if I wasn't. But I ran the House Campaign Committee in 2006. We picked up six seats that year. Uh, that was the most we had picked up in, in almost 30 years. 
listen, I'm optimistic about our ability to compete, but it requires a long-term recruitment plan that ensures that we have candidates around the state that are running for office, not just once, but twice Mm -hmm. or three times. Uh, And it requires a unified effort. And I can tell you that I think that uh, we're on the pathway there on both of those areas, but it's not something that's going to happen in one cycle or even two cycles. It's going to take a long period of time. What, What role do you see for yourself like this cycle? Is there anything particular that you're doing? Well, I'm standing up and supporting candidates that I believe in. Uh, you know, we have candidates that are running for re-election that, that I, I want to see re-elected. We have candidates that are running for the first time that I'd like to see have a chance to serve. I mean, listen, Joe, if there's one imprint that you can leave upon public service as a statewide on the political side, it's, it's bringing up a next generation of leaders who are willing to step up. I think it's one of the most important responsibilities we have. I've had others before me that have helped do that for me. Uh, and it's something that I intend to spend time on uh, as treasurer. You were part of the near Democratic sweep in 2012 for the statewide candidates, where the only ones that the Democrats lost was Lieutenant Governor Peter Kinder edged out Susan Monte. What do you see as the disconnect between statewide and you know state representative and state senator races? Because there there was a big discrepancy there. Well, I, I, a couple things. I mean. First of all, I'm not a political analyst, so it's you know I haven't I, I haven't spent as much time on this as, as you might have. But I think there's a, a couple thoughts on this. I mean, one, recruitment matters, uh, and consistent recruitment over not a one or two term cycle, but over multiple terms, really, really does matter. Uh, when I came into the House uh, in 2002, Republicans had, had won it for the first time in 48 years. That didn't happen, as Joe knows by a one-term blip. That happened as really an effort over about 20 years to really chip away at the amount of Democrats that were in office. So I think, first of all, it takes strong recruitment. I think it takes high candidate quality. Uh, It takes candidates that uh, I think have had some real-life experiences that can understand how Missourians think on a day-to-day basis. Uh, You know, when you begin to have that, I think you begin to pick up more Senate races and more House races. Uh, I think it's too easy to blame redistricting and the way districts look. I think it ultimately you have to compete in the environment you're given. And if you're not competing, then you're doing something wrong. Now I, asked, uh, I actually ran into Jake Zimmerman a few uh, days ago, and I asked a similar question. And it seems like House Democrats have been – some House Democrats such as yourself have been successful at running for higher offices. You obviously – you took over a statewide office that had been previously held by a Republican. Secretary Kander won. You have instances where, like, Tashara Jones became city treasurer, uh, Chris Carter became alderman. And then you also had some House Democrats who ran for things and lost, like Jeff Harris, Margaret Donnelly, Judy Baker. Obviously, when you win higher office, it's a good thing for the Democrats. But when you leave the House, and obviously you only had a finite amount of the, in the House anyways, is there something of a, of a, a brain drain or a leadership shift when some people leave for those types of things? Or do you think that this new generation of leaders can kind of pick up the slack when Democrats win statewide offices like yourself? Well, I'm, I'm confident that the next generation can pick up slack, obviously. I think the only thing that really is a challenge for them is they just have less numbers and volume total, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, you just have less folks that are able and willing to step up in those environments. Uh, you know, the, and plus, I think it's important to remember when you run for a statewide office, you're not sort of taking yourself out of the equation. You're still engaging right. with those House Democrats. Uh, and, and I spend a lot of time with both sides, frankly, both Republican and Democrat in the House and the Senate talking about lots of issues. Yeah, because it seems like, as I kind of alluded to before, back when you were in the House, it did seem like it was more partisan in both houses. Since Governor Nixon came along and he has a veto pen, it seems like it's a little bit less 
bipartisan. Maybe you've had that experience with passing some of your legislation. Is that a fair assessment, or do you still think it's a partisan madhouse that you were once in? Well, I think that it's it's hard to gauge because the job of state treasurer is so different than what you're yeah. doing when you're in the House. In the House, you, you're defined by your votes that you make on a day-to-day basis, and you're forced to sort of cast yourself with this vote, whether or not you agree with it completely, because there, you know, could be two bad choices in essence, you know, to vote on yes or no could both have bad repercussions. As treasurer, I think the, I think the sort of constant lesson for me that is that I sort of renew all the time, which is that compromise is an important part of this. And I'm very interested now in trying to figure out pathways for progress in a difficult environment. Uh, Acknowledging the fact that the makeup isn't ideal for Democrats is important, but then figuring out what can you do to pull the levers to actually move on education policy in the state uh, and actually have a real conversation about elementary and secondary education or the higher ed stuff that we were talking about earlier. You know, those things for me are, are, are the real indicators of of, uh, I think, of success ultimately is how do we take a, a difficult environment and figure out ways to, to get through it. Now, are Democrats in danger of being somewhat polarized in the urban and suburban areas? I mean, for example, Democrat Days will be this weekend in Hannibal. I don't know if you're going or usually go. Um, but it used to be even just four years ago, four or five years ago when I was there, uh, there would be about a dozen state reps from that part of the state, Democrats. Now it's like one or two <laughs> Right. Uh, it could be zero if, you know, Republicans pick up Ed Schieffer's seat. Correct. So, but continue. Correct. So my point being is the the uh, press conference they have on Saturday morning has gotten so it's just it's almost like a coffee clatch uh, where it used to be more of a bigger thing. Is there anything that the your party can do that you think can that can reconnect you with rural Missouri or is it? Uh, a philosophical thing that just can't be changed. Oh, I, I'm actually optimistic. I mean, if you look up just uh, four years ago, uh, we were winning important and key races in south southeast Missouri. Uh, we picked up three out of the four seats at that point, I think at the end of 2006 when I was running the campaign committee. So I'm very optimistic about our ability. I don't think it's simply a, a rural-urban divide, and I think that's sort of the first thing people go to. I think the reality is, is you have to, again, Joe, recruit high-quality candidates year after year. And they have to be respected community leaders uh, who really bring something to the table. And in some cases, we're going to have that, and we're still going to lose races. But I can tell you, if you recruit those individuals in race after race after race, you're going to win more than you're going to lose, ultimately. Well, we'll have to have you back in 2015 when you announce on our show that you're running for Florida <laughs> City Council. So. Or <laughs> Lieutenant Thank, Governor. Or Columbia Mayor or whatever. So. <laughs> or Columbia Mayor. There we go. Thank well, you. I'll, well, I'll close this out here. You can read all of our stories at stlpublicradio.org. You can follow me on Twitter at at CSMcDaniel. Jason, you can be followed on Twitter. Jay Rosenbaum. Joe. At Jay Manis. It's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. And? At Missouri Treasure. Well, we'll be back next week. Until then, so long.